In today's show, I'm going to be joined by Adam Armbrecht of the Locked On Nets podcast to talk Brooklyn Nets. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We're here to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. There is so much to talk about. This is such a weird thing with this team. At least we got some resolution before we recorded this show about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So we're going to talk about that with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets. Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. All right, here he is, back on the show, host of the Locked On Nets podcast. Adam Armbrecht is here back with us. Uh, Welcome back, Adam. Thank you, sir. Always happy to to join in the fray of the Josh Lloyd burning bright sun that is your essence, you know? My essence. Well, you know, I don't even know where to go from there because that's uh, if... if... (laughs) I'm just going to ignore it, Adam, because I don't know what to say about my burning sun and my essence. And I don't know, I've got my Jade Yoni eggs going. I'm ready I'm ready to fire up and get into this uh, show talking about the Brooklyn Nets because you want to talk about burning essences and uh, <laughs> and and burning stars and um, vibes, whether they be of the good or bad variety. This might be the team that we need to talk about because we have got a lot that happened with this squad. And there's a lot of stuff to go on with, even just not outside of the nonsense that is seemingly resolved with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Let's look at what this squad actually did in terms of bringing guys in. TJ Warren and Royce O'Neal come in. Edmund Sumner comes in. Two of those guys coming off significant season-ending injuries. Um, and then there's also Alondez Williams who's brought in as well. And they lose a bunch of former All-Stars. Not that they're any good anymore necessarily, but LaMarcus Aldridge... Not signed anywhere. Andre Drummond, he's in Chicago. Blake Griffin, not signed anywhere. Bruce Brown Jr. goes to Denver, which is a pretty big loss for the Nets. Goran Dragic has gone to Chicago as well. And old mate David Duke Jr. has still not been signed. There is a roster spot. Let's just start with him. We assume that Duke comes back onto that roster spot that's available. Yeah, yeah, he was playing it out, waiting. Uh, you know, I could take another one of those two-way contracts. So they'll get him on something. Just don't know what it's going to look like just yet, but he'll be there. Because he, along with Kessler Edwards, impressed last season when they were pushed into action with a bunch of absences. And again, I think he's a solid enough rotation-style NBA upside player. So I think he'll be back. Um, we're going to talk about the injury to TJ Warren a little bit later on. We're, of course, going to talk Duran and Irving at some point. But let's talk about Royce O'Neal. What did you make of the let's trade a first-round pick for Royce O'Neal sort of move? Yeah, I mean... Um initially at the time of the trade, you thought even a first round pick for Royce O'Neal maybe feels like a lot, but in the moment you said, Oh, okay. You're, you're maybe going to replace Bruce Brown, right? A guy that's undersized, but plays bigger than what his measurables are. Um, there's things you can like about it, right? Veteran player. Uh, and then Kevin Durant makes the trade request. You go, good Lord, what, what is going on here? Why would you possibly make this? I still don't know if a first round pick for Royce O'Neal is, is ever worth it. Quote unquote, but with everyone now intact, like you can start to think about about what he is in this team in support of some of these other players. He'll be a nice piece. You're mentioning all these guys that are out of this Brooklyn Nets uh, unit here. 
Royce O'Neal, maybe, as you said, we'll get to TJ Warren. These guys feel like higher upside with more consistency possibilities than some of these older veterans who were far closer to the end than the beginning. Maybe O'Neal's going to be put into a better position than he was in the Jazz, where he was tasked with being the only guy who can defend on that team outside of the center. And it yep. just didn't work. Like He just couldn't handle that sort of responsibility. He's not an offensive guy. He's a very low usage player. But there are better defenders. Not that this team's a great defensive team, but there are better defenders on this team than there were on the Jazz outside of Gobert, who's a good defense in himself. So maybe O'Neal who's not tasked with just guarding, like, hey, just switch between Kawhi and Paul George and and yeah, jump on to uh, LeBron and, and take on Giannis and, and just see how it goes because that's never going to work out well really for anybody when he's got a few other guys that can be put into that role. So maybe that, that works out for him. Again, I don't like the first-round pick for Royce O'Neal, but... We'll see how it works out because he's not going to be in that same role that he was in Utah where he was a starter playing 30 minutes a night. He's just, yeah, injuries aside, like that's just not the role that they have him pegged for. But we'll talk. And about- I will say too, just on, on Royce real quick, his, his the three-point shooting is what you probably like more than anything coming into the Nets. Um, he's doubled it since 17-18. He's doubled his three-point attempts. The makes have come right along with it. So he's averaging four three-point attempts per game. If you think about him more in that role with some defensive upside, that's how you have to envision him on this Brooklyn Nets team, to your point, as opposed to what he was being asked to do um, in these past couple of years. Yeah, and he's going to get open shots. There's no no doubt about yeah. that. He's not going to get guarded out there. He doesn't take tons of them, but he has improved to be reliable as a corner. Like maybe Maybe his best position or best role is like, hey, we've seen what P.J. Tucker does for these teams. Like He's not that level of defender, but reliable spot up corner three point shooter who can defend guys. Maybe, maybe that's what he brings. But the big story here, I think with his team outside of the story that was just resolved, um, well, allegedly resolved is injuries. We've got a few guys we really need to talk about. Ben Simmons. He's allegedly, well, not allegedly, he's doing three on three work after that micro discectomy. Is he, what is the assumption that he is ready to go for training camp? Uh, are there going to be any restrictions on his injury as we move forward into the season? The prospect is he's going to be good. He's going to be there for training camp. He's going to be healthy. The back isn't going to be a problem. Now, when you say back, it's, I think, almost impossible to say won't be a problem, right? You're only, you know, backs are for normal human beings that aren't playing at the highest level of athletics. Things can come back. So, no pun intended. In theory, he's going to be out there ready to start developing chemistry with Kevin Durant, with Kyrie Irving, and kind of carving out this role for himself for the Brooklyn Nets. As long as everything goes according to plan, this is Ben Simmons, fully healthy, back to form from a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's that's what the hope is. He's going to be ready to go. Like we, we can't really speak on where he is mentally, and there's all these stories. I don't know how much veracity there is to them of you know, leaving group chats and being asked to play and refusing to die. It feels like a lot of bullshit, but there could be some truth to it. I, we honestly just don't know, and we just don't know until we actually see it happen and him out on the court and playing and playing his usual regular minutes. I, I expect that'll be the, the case with Simmons, that he's out there, he's playing 33, 34 minutes a night, and he's doing the things that Ben Simmons does but we don't know there's a lot of question marks about not only his his back injury but also his mental state and how much truth there is to some of this stuff that was going around joe harris had okay ben simmons had a mental health issue in philadelphia then a injury that required surgery and now the next two guys we're going to talk about we're talking about injuries that didn't heal and required multiple surgeries and that's where we are with joe harris's ankle who was supposed to come back at some point last season, but you don't hear this too often, although we did hear it twice last season with Joe Harris and with Lonzo Ball, where the procedure was like, oh, it actually didn't work. Um, so we're going to need to go do <laughs> something else. Um, so where are we with Joe Harris? Did the second procedure work? 
Yeah, I always thought we we joked about it during the season. You don't want anyone to get hurt, but the idea they were like, that's a piece of bone just kind of floating around in there. We got to go get that. Like that was such an un an uncomfortable thing to hear. He yes, he should in theory again be back to health. There's a lot of guys here. I know you know Seth Curry doesn't really have per se as big of an issue, but he kind of falls in that lump as well. Oh, sorry, the weird he, thing he had about surgery too, didn't he? Yeah, you know, and and it feels not not in the same level of severity as Joe Harris, who missed significant time, right? Or TJ Warren feels more like one of those maintenance kind of surgeries for athletes when it comes to Curry. But you know, for Joe Harris, a guy who and him and and Warren are kind of in the same age range. Joe Harris is a spot up shooter, so the mobility factor doesn't really matter as much. But this team is reshaping in a different way, so you need to be there 100% ready to go. And at $18 million, it's like the injury is one factor, and then the dollar amount is another when you think about how many, how much supporting shooting do you need around these star players. Joe's in a weird spot. He should be good to go, but we said that in the initial surgery, and that timeline just kept getting moved last year until finally they admitted, hey, it's over for him this season, and we'll see how he looks coming into the next training camp. Yeah, I do expect that he will be ready to go, but I want to talk about his role in a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but TJ Warren, we've seen him play five games, I think it is, since the bubble. Um, he, you know, there was Rick Carlisle at the start of December last season. So, ah, he'll be back. It'll just be a matter of weeks. Well, it turns out that matter of weeks is like 40 weeks because he hasn't didn't play at all last season with that broken foot, which clearly had some sort of a setback. Um, I am... Absolutely shit scared about TJ Warren, who is a notoriously slow healer. He had a non-concussion-related head injury, which cost him months in Phoenix. He had an ankle injury, which no one could tell us what it was in Phoenix. It cost him months. He um, had this foot injury, which didn't heal and had to have another lot of treatment on it, which cost him that time in Indiana. And the fact that he was only signed to a one-year veteran minimum deal minimum deal makes me think that other teams are like, uh, yeah, we, we're, not, we're not sure this is... Uh, this is good to go because he theoretically he's a player who should be getting 10 plus million. Even if it was just on a, Hey, let's see what happens. Um, yeah, he should get $10 million a year. The fact that he signed for a veteran minimum means me, makes me feel that we are not confident in his foot. No. Yeah. This is, this is a, an incredibly low risk, high upside flyer. You take on a guy, the price point is correct for this. There's no pressure on him to need to come into training camp and look hundred percent healthy. There's no pressure for him to be the bubble scorer that he was for that brief stint, right? So um, I don't, you can't put anything on expectations for him. It'll be interesting if he starts to play well, but I, yeah, unlike Joe Harris, where you feel like healthy coming back, just needs to get his legs back underneath him. TJ Warren, I, you know, would I be surprised if he's out there for training camp and out there for the season? No, but nothing would shock me if you don't see him maybe at any point for the Brooklyn Nets. So he's an enigma until we really get some type of sample size of him on the court. And then, Amazingly, we had Ben Simmons with back surgery, Joe Harris with multiple ankle surgeries, TJ Warren with multiple foot surgeries. And then there's another player who had the more catas- most cas- catastrophic injury of a lot of them with a torn Achilles for Edmund Sumner. Um, he's obviously not at the same level of player that these guys are, but we do expect that he is back fully healthy. There hasn't been any talk of setbacks for him. He had the Achilles injury. And he came, did he come across in a trade to the Nets and then was waived and then brought him back? Is that correct? Uh, no, no, no. They kept, they kept him around. They, it wasn't, no, it wasn't a trade process. They just brought him in separately after okay. he was let go by, by the Pacers. And right. to your point has never proven anything to the level of a TJ Warren even, but at what is it just 26 years old? I, there, there's still a lot of upside technically, if you think about him and he will be healthy. I think that 
he this goes in the same vein as when you go and you make a trade for Royce O'Neal, you examine it from two different lenses with the superstars, without the superstars. I think Sumner was, again, a little bit of a hedge of if things go belly up, we're taking a low-risk flyer on another player that could still really be something in the NBA. I don't know what his future looks like with the Brooklyn Nets. There's a world where there's other moves for the Nets to make here, and Sumner's not even a part of this roster. Before we get into talking about a projected starting five, Adam I believe that you are a big New York Giants fan. Is that correct? Did I get that correct? You are correct, sir. I cover them for crying out loud. There we go. Big Giants fan. So if he wants to, Adam, if you want to check on the Giants and all of their odds, the number one place you've got to go, it has to be Bet Online. It is the number one online source for odds, lines, and props across the internet. The Giants have got a preseason game. You should know it off the top of your head. Who, who are they playing this weekend? Oh, a little cross-stadium rivalry with the Jets. Ooh, it is. The Battle of New Jersey. The Giants versus the Jets. The Jets are three-point favorites there. Big Joe Flacco game maybe on deck for the Jets taking on the Giants. But whatever game you want to have a look at, whatever sport, NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, or even the good old golf, BetOnline has you covered over there. It is the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. Adam, your starting five, it's different to what my projected starting five is for this team. You've got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton. I agree with that. I have Seth Curry in there over Joe Harris. Now, they are remarkably similar type players. Um, I think Seth's got probably a little bit more juice of having the ball in his hands. Why have you decided to go with Harris over Curry there? And how, you know, we'll talk about the rotation in a second, but Harris, Curry, and Mills all on the same team. There's a lot of guys who shoot really well from three, but not really sure what else they're going to do. Yeah, and I know, so we'll get to Curry and even maybe to Patty Mills at some point here. Uh, Joe Harris, I think if you look at this and you think about the athleticism that Ben Simmons is going to bring to this team, the ability to be a facilitator and to set up the offense potentially in the half court, Kyrie on the fast break, Joe Harris can benefit greatly from that. You mentioned it. Curry, on the other hand, who has a little more, a little more, a lot more on-ball ability to kind of create some space for himself and get his own shot. I think you want to keep that potentially in the second unit. And it's not to say, you know, I mentioned this when we were getting on for, for it. This feels like a very fluid situation for the Brooklyn Nets roster. It all depends on what type of system are they looking to run here? How are they going to utilize a Ben Simmons? But um, I think for at least for the start, you try to put Joe, Joe Harris out there. You know, he just has to be in a spot, hit his shots, and it takes a lot of the pressure off from a defensive aspect too when you think about having Simmons and Claxton out there with him. Yeah, I can say that. I can understand that. I just think that Curry is, I personally think Curry's a better player than Harris, and I'm just a little bit more, yeah. more worried about Harris coming off the injury. But if we can criticize Steve Nash, or we can praise him as a coach, whatever you want to do. Like, you can think he's a good coach or a bad coach. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But he has absolutely 100% shown no issue with changing the starting lineup on a game by game basis. Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge, Nick Claxton, um, Harris starting, moving to the bench. Like, this all happened over the last two years. Guys just wildly switching. Bruce Brown, hey, you're a DNP, and now you're playing 30 minutes in the next game like it's all over the place in terms of what he does with rotations whether that's good or bad someone else can decide that I think it's maybe a little bit bad but that's it's going to change it's not going to be set in stone Joe Harris again he's not he's going to if he starts it probably won't be every game they'll move the guys around quite a bit I do agree with your bench group here Mills Curry O'Neal Warren, we're assuming he's healthy. And the big fella, Dayron Sharp, because this is the team that had like five centers last season. Now they have two, and that is Claxton and Sharp. And some may say those guys are unproven, and I, I get that. I want to talk Dayron Sharp here quickly. 
I'm pretty interested in what he's going to bring. I, I think that he showed some real value even as a rookie and showed me something where I go, okay, I can see maybe like, Clint Capella is probably not the right guy, but there's starting caliber upside here with Dayron Sharp. And do the Nets feel you're comfortable relying upon him in a pretty solid rotation role? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, listen, from a rebound getting standpoint, yeah, you can throw him out there and have him gobble him up. The, the first thing that started to get talked about after all of the high-level concerns were, for the moment, quelled with Kevin Durant was, oh, the, now the Nets need to go out and sign a big. And again, you mentioned Steve Nash. Philosophically, what are you trying to do as a team? If you're comfortable with the size and having a little bit more length, then Daron Sharp is a guy that's physical enough to put in some, to, into some of these matchups and to be able to do some things down low defensively. The fascinating part, you mentioned Capella, it's like offensively, Daron Sharp, and I talked with uh, Candace Cooper just around the draft who covers it at the college level and said, do not expect him to be having a shot early in his career, but that doesn't mean that he can't develop it. And I think if he can start to develop a little bit of a perimeter look to him, it's not out of the realm. His uh, college free throw percentage were high enough to suggest that he can yeah, do that. It was really he good. Can, if, if he can fold that into his game, now you can look at him in a way of, oh, this is a very complimentary guy to bring in off the bench for Nicholas Claxton. When Ben Simmons comes out, right, you start to get this nice little bit of a balance where you can create different looks for the opposition. So if he can do that, I, I like him. I quietly am confident about what he can do coming into his second year. It's just a matter of the consistency, I think, that he gets to have those looks. Just quickly on Patty Mills. He's obviously an Australian legend. Everyone loves him here. Great bloke. I thought he struggled quite a bit last season as a player. He is older. I thought the contract they gave him was probably a little bit too high, especially with Curry and Harris still around there. Um, he was tasked with a role that wasn't really what he can do with Kyrie out. He was starting. He was playing big minutes. Are we going to see him just settle into uh, – well, let's put it this way. Do you think that we're going to see 22 minutes plus of Paddy Mills or under 20 minutes a night of Paddy Mills this season? No, under 20, closer to 15, I think. I think that I think that's what they wanted to do with him last year, and everything just went off the rails completely, and you started to ask way more of him. Now, on a, on a year-to-year -year basis, his entire career, he's always kind of had these lulls and then usually grinds down towards the back end of the season, whether he was older or otherwise. I like him as a perimeter shooter. Again, this is a guy that can't do a lot with the ball in his hands. That was a problem. Not enough creators for this Brooklyn Nets roster, but I like his presence. Again, the contract is a little bit high. I think that's a bit of a tip of the cap from Sean Marks to say we were Expected what you did for us last season. That's why we brought you in to be that type of presence in the locker room. So you bring him back, but now you say, now you have to do it on a far lesser role, be kind of a steady, calm voice on the bench, and you have some young players on this roster that can learn from him. But no, if he's playing 20-plus minutes this season, it probably means something again has gone wrong for Brooklyn. There's a name in this rotation group, Adam, that people, and on it, people are insanely, maybe inaccurately, maybe optimistically high on who's not in this group, and that's Cam Thomas, because people go, man, I can't wait. Kyrie's going to get traded, and then Cam Thomas is going to start, and he's going to, yeah, score 25 a night. I, I've heard those crazy takes. Now, Thomas, again, dropped 30 points a game in Summer League, which is a setting which is uniquely styled to his game type, but he just isn't really... He just isn't really there as a complete player at this point, and I don't think you can make the argument that Mills or Curry or Harris or Kyrie that he's better than any of them or, or should get minutes over them. What can he do to push into a regular rotation role? Do the Nets see him becoming that player in, in the future or is it just there's a little bit of like it's a I don't want to say one trick pony but he's like it's very much I do one thing and nothing else has come along yet. 
Yeah, I mean, if you looked at him, I would say, if we're talking about Patty Mills getting 15 minutes a game, can Cam Thomas eat into that? Certainly. But he wasn't the consistent three-point shooter that maybe they thought he would develop into over the course of his rookie year. Yes, he's a microwave scorer, but a lot of guys can do that. Um, and, he, and he's not particularly big, right? So you're yeah. a team that doesn't have a lot of size. Going to that is going to hurt you. Um, I, I think, you know, last year, too, uh, Nets fans love love what Cam Thomas brings and they want to lean into it. But the intention wasn't to have Cam Thomas be that guy for you last year. I think they wanted to have him sit there, learn and develop. There's a reason why a guy like that falls in the draft. Doesn't give you a lot defensively, had a lot of growing pains. Uh, he started to do a better job as a facilitator, finding some looks for other players. That's what he needs to do. And by the way, Steve Nash said that over the summer league and Cam Thomas scoffed back a little bit at it. Nothing really of note there other than to say, we need you to be a complete basketball player. Like the NBA scoring is something that a lot of guys can do really well. If you want to be someone that gets into the rotation with consistency, you need to show that you can do these other things, at least be a speed bump on the defensive end. And again, Patty Mills is not even a speed bump at this point either. So there is a path for him, but he has to show it with consistency right now. I think the Nets would say to start the year, we're going to lean with veteran leadership and then some of the young guys can try to push their way through. The other thing is, like, you can be a scorer and, and get those buckets, but you can't if you can't shoot, which at this point he can't. Like, even his LSU three point shooting numbers weren't great. Um, he shot twenty seven percent from three last season, so he's doing so much. Getting to the rim, really, really good. Look, that's really good, and his scoring mentality is there. But do something else. Like, do do, do something else. Yes. Like, can you pass? Like, not yet. Can you rebound? Not yet. Can you defend? Not at all. Um, can you shoot? Not yet. Like, it hasn't been proven. So there's a lot of steps to go. Not, I'm not saying he can't get there, but the evidence is not in his favor at this point of that being something that's just going to come out of nowhere. It, it might happen, but it just is not there with him just yet. Um, all right, let's get to the, the big ones here. KD is back. They're running it back. Is he actually back, back though? Or is this just a, like, all right, we don't like the offers now. We'll see what happens. And then in three months' time, this might rear its head again. Or is, do you have full trust that they are yeah, at least committing for this this next season and then they'll revisit in the offseason? Yeah, I like the idea of saying Kevin Durant has decided to return to the team that he was under contract with. I think that's a great way to frame to frame this conversation. Listen, everybody knows there's, there's plenty of blame to go around uh, on the Brooklyn Nets side of it and the players' side of it over these last couple of seasons. But um, to your question... I, I, I would like to think that this was let's all get back to neutral here and let's play out this year. You have Kyrie on the opt-in. I'm sure we're going to talk about him, but just, hey, let's give it this year. We haven't seen you with Ben Simmons and Kyrie yet. We don't know how this can work. There's a really nice complimentary set of skills here. You're a high-level talent still at going to soon be 34 years old. Let's go for, through this year. And if it all goes belly up, Yes, we'll revisit all these terrible conversations we don't want to have. The only way I think anything happens sooner is if the start of the year really goes poorly, maybe a key injury like a Ben Simmons or a Kyrie, anybody. If someone suffers an injury and it just looks like things aren't going to materialize this season, then when the trade deadline comes, I wouldn't be shocked if it's, listen, we said we were willing, but I have a real opportunity to get somewhere else with three plus years left on my deal. Let's let's see if there's something out there. I think if they struggle early on and it's not injury related, it's just going to be bye bye Steve Nash. That would surely be the first move there. I would I would imagine. Um, yeah, given it, and I will say it's fascinating that when they released the statement, it was from Sean Marks. Now it wasn't joint with the Brooklyn Nets and the boardroom, so that's Kevin Durant's yep. uh, little you know PR firm as well. But it was Steve Nash and I, along with Joe Sy and everybody else, they put his name first. I agree with you, right? There's no world that you can get through the first two months of the season and have it look like Steve Nash is clearly an issue and not assume that he could be gone. 
But that's, again, where I, I think I want to come back with the highest level possibility as you play out this season. And something inside of that meeting was, listen, you guys are going to do what you're going to do. But you got to give me some room here, if I'm Steve Nash, to be able to suggest, to implement, to try some things. And if that doesn't work out, then I have to fall on my own sword and be and be let go here. But if I don't get the chance to show that I am capable of being a head coach, what are we doing? It's just staying in this weird, you know, ambiguous space with everyone where there's a lot of ISO ball and you can't determine if that's KD's choice, Kyrie's choice, or something that Steve Nash is just saying, yeah, you guys go score. I don't have an idea. It is going to be interesting to watch. As I said earlier, I'm always going to harp on this. It's going to be, at least Nash doesn't have the ability to not play Bruce Brown when he's available like he did at the start of uh, last season and just completely screw up a lot of those rotations. It was, yes. one, of, it was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. But anyway, we, that, that is in the past. We were now. blown away by that, by the way. We were blown away by that. We could not. We said something must have gone horribly wrong here. Like he must be getting traded. Like something is in the works. And then out of nowhere, I was like, no, Bruce Brown, now he's playing. He's playing max minutes and he's one of the most important pieces of the team like we thought he was before the season started. But yeah, it was, said, it was so weird. Anyway, um, let's talk about Kyrie because... Ben Simmons has played as a point guard basically his whole career. You may say that he's not a point guard and he's a power forward because he's big and blah, blah, blah. But he has the ball and he runs an offense. That is what he did all the time in Philadelphia. Nobody else was doing that. Kyrie has done that, but he's never been the most elite passer. He's more of a scorer. And when Harden was there last season, Harden was the point guard who orchestrated the offense. So do you think that Kyrie takes back that mantle of being the guy who sets everything up? Or do you think that it'll be majority Simmons running that role? Or is Simmons going to play more of a complete off-ball, power-forward, defensive role and Kyrie's going to execute? Or is Kyrie going to stick to that more more off-ball role than he's had in the past, the way that he did alongside Harden and Durant last season? No, I think you're spot on. Kyrie Irving is not your traditional point guard, nor nor would you want him to be. He, he's best suited to be a guy that goes and attacks and gets his buckets. I think you want Ben Simmons setting things up. It, it elevates one of his talents, being a facilitator. It diminishes the risk of him needing to go and take a shot, something he says he can do. He just doesn't like to do, which is always fun for a basketball player. Um, and to your point, you know, Kyrie Irving, he doesn't even really love playing in the pick and roll. So utilizing Ben Simmons in something that Kyrie Irving doesn't want to do naturally, because in some ways it only slows him down, right? He can break down a player defensively all on his own. He doesn't need to have that help. So I would assume that they want to lean him into that facilitator role for Ben Simmons, that Kyrie wants to stay off ball. The only one caveat would be, especially in fast breaks and transition, I think that that's something that we saw the difference between when Harden was there and then after he left through the trade, the, the tempo of the team, the quickness, the speed, that really got ramped up because Kyrie wants to push the tempo. Harden was willing to, and this does feel like a one-to-one -one in that aspect of facilitator role. Ben Simmons is the replacement for what you lost in James Harden. Simmons is also really good in transition too, and he will push the pace there. So that's something that will help those guys as well. So it is going to be something that's intriguing to watch. I think I know a lot of people with Simmons are like, oh, he's just going to have no usage. He's going to stand in the corner. He's going to, his assists are going to drop because it's just going to run through Durant and Irving. And I wasn't so sure about that. And I just wanted to get your, your take on that. We've talked about Dayron Sharp as a center already. Nick Claxton's the presumed starter. I, we both presume that he will be the starter. Do you think that there is more of a chance of Claxton getting 30 plus minutes? or of it being closer to like a 22-22 minute split with some time with Durant and Simmons playing as a small ball five? 
Yeah, I, I still think maybe it's a symbolic start starting role for Nicholas Claxton. We, we've yet to prove that Claxton can play those 30-plus minutes. There, there's situations, especially now with Ben Simmons, where that versatility on the defensive end is so attractive. You get to move Kevin Durant into the third most difficult defensive assignment in a lot of scenarios, and then his length, his size, becomes a real weapon on the defensive end. For Claxton, again, he's a good transition player. Um, he doesn't have any shot at this point. He's got to figure out the free throws. That could be a real issue for both those guys being on the floor together to close out. So, no, I, I think it's some it's some rotation package when they do go to smaller lineups, when Royce O'Neal comes in and you start to mix and match a little bit, if Dayron can develop. I, 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 I'd still cap you know, Nicholas Claxton at 25 minutes, barring him developing, which he's done. By the way, this is a guy that hasn't even played He's narrowly gotten over a full season of basketball games under his belt while being in the league for three years. He's had some small injuries. So that development curve, I think, has to have a little bit of a longer arc. We've seen him get better handling the ball. We've seen him get a little bit better turning and facing up and attacking at the basket. So, you know, little jumper maybe, you know, a little mid-range something, that can start to change my mind. But right now I'd have to say 25 minutes is kind of the sweet spot for him again. We also saw Claxton miss like a month of basketball due to a non-COVID illness. I don't know what, tuberculosis? I don't know what happened. To <laughs> we never really got the full scoop there <laughs> He was out forever. It was like a month with like, it's, I'm telling you, it's not COVID, not COVID guys, but he's just too sick to play. And by the way, like he, he's, he's a lean guy, as we know, and he had just started to put on a little bit of muscle. That happened. And when he came back, he looked as lean as he ever did. So whether or not this is going to be a guy that's always going to follow him around, an injury or flu-related bug, something that may just always track him. But he's put on a little bit more mass, and that's been important. If you're going to say you got to go up against some of the bigger matchups, you're never going to have the same size or strength as an Embiid or even as a Giannis. But you need to be serviceable in that role and hopefully a little more mass. At least he can do that. He's shown the ability to use his athleticism to play up against some size. Who do you think is a breakout candidate on this team? Breakout candidate. Man, you know what? I would have said, before watching Summer League, I would have said Kessler Edwards is a guy, you know, that came on last year, really showed you something, had some growing pains as we expected. You take a guy in the second round, you don't anticipate him having all the athleticism, which he doesn't. Then you watch the Summer League, and it was a reminder of, boy, this guy is a byproduct of so much else of what goes on on this roster. You know, the, the three-point shooting and the defensive versatility. I think that he can develop. I kind of was about to talk myself out of it, but for what his role is going to be, I think that maybe he can be a breakout candidate for this team. You already know what Cam Thomas is, at least in the short term. Um, shy of maybe Dayron Sharp getting that outside look, I don't really see anybody else. Uh, you know what? Sorry. I talked myself into, you know, uh, David Duke Jr. is maybe a guy that I would say when he gets his contract for what his, again, for what the role is going to be here. We talked about Cam Thomas, maybe not going to be able to crack significant minutes. Patty Mills is going to fade a little bit here. David Duke Jr. does enough and has enough athleticism under his belt and can be a pest defensively that he could carve himself out a nice little role. I know it's not breakout star, but for what the Nets need, that's the kind of guy that can actually move the needle for this for this roster from a depth perspective. Who's a regression candidate on this team? <sighs> I think it's probably Mills to be or, or Curry, just because well, yeah, all those guys squishing say, in together. Yeah, I mean, Patty Mills, we, we talked about it before. The Nets have spent a lot of time the last couple of seasons bringing in guys that were past their prime. Patty might just be the guy. See, regression sounds so so uh, painful to say about a guy like Patty Mills. It could be like, just time. Time got you, right? It happened to LaMarcus. It happened to Blake Griffin. Like, you're, you're just going to wear down. Yeah, that, that, that maybe Patty is probably the kind of guy that he's starting out playing 15, and by the end of the season, he's a cheerleader on the bench. So he, he, 
he's the guy that could probably go from the biggest quote unquote role to start the year to being maybe next to nothing. Yeah, and he's all he's thirty four as well. It's like he's he's getting up there in age. Um, I think this is easy. Well, actually, maybe not. Is this team better than last season? Uh, well, I think they'll finish better than what they finished last season. Yeah, that's the easy record wise. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also think they're a better team, at least on paper. This is a more balanced team. This is a more complementary team. Um, and they have the ability in theory to be able to keep coming at you with waves on the offensive end. And again, a healthy Ben Simmons on the floor, all of a sudden you have a lot of length and a lot of switchability on the defensive side. So yes, this is a better team than they were last year. It's a better constructed team top to bottom. <sighs> okay. Now this one, who's the most likely player to be traded? Is there, do you think there's any chance that Kyrie is still gone that Westbrook and two first from the Lakers, if that's still out there, is there any chance that that's happening or is this, yeah, it, it, they're just not going to move on from that. No, I don't think so. And I think that that's organization was just so disgusted with the idea of eating 47 million, even if things went really wrong, I guess, maybe I actually think I, I still go back to Joe Harris, who we've talked about a lot. It's the $18 million, right? There's a lot of flexibility in that in terms of bringing, bringing back in a player and like he could be healthy and knocking down triples and still be a better component to move, to bring someone back in that maybe gives them a little more size defensively a little more athleticism. Like those are the things that I think the Nets will over the course of the start of the season look to tweak. And while Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters, you mentioned the top, Seth Curry is one of the best three-point shooters in the history of the game in spite of being on nine NBA teams over the course of his career. So if you feel like you have enough perimeter shooting and that can come down to the health of Patty Mills and still being the player that, he, that he, we think he can be, if a guy like Kessler Edwards shows more consistency from the outside, if you think the perimeter shooting is healthy enough without Joe Harris, it's not even a knock on him. It's just, can you make your team better? And he's one of the more attractive pieces that you could jettison off. And I would say Seth Curry goes into that boat because he's on the one-year 8.4. Very attractive, but his best value is going to be for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I think he has some replaceability with Harris just because you've got Curry and Mills on this roster. And yeah, while it is impossible in theory, to replace like a 43% three-point shooter when you've got another 43% three-point shooter on the team. Like the, this is the uh, this is the only team that's got that replaceability uh, for a guy like Joe Harris uh, currently on their roster. We're going to round things out here, Adam, with a couple of quiz questions. I do this to all of the hosts. I don't feel bad. Don't feel bad if you, if you miss them. Plenty of them miss them. These are tough things. These are basketball index talent grades, three-point shooting talent, playmaking talent, finishing talent. It's not about who had the highest three-point percentage. This is based on last season. It's about difficulty of shots. Um, you have the more weight towards things like self-creation and pull-ups versus standing in the corner and hitting corner threes. Playmaking is not just number of assists. It's about volume of passes, getting guys open at the rim, potential assists, that sort of stuff. And finishing is not just about you know, Nick Claxton catching alley-oops. It's about driving, getting to the rim, finishing through contact, drawing fouls, that sort of thing. So just an idea when you think, yeah, who's who's that three-point guy that when you want it, no matter what the situation is, who's the guy you think is going to get it in? Um, yeah, playmaking, who's the guy that you want to have in the ball, the ball in his hands to orchestrate things? This is based on guys who finished last season on the nets. Who do you think, so that excludes James Harden, who was, I think, the top in playmaking talent on this team. Who do you think would have graded out as the best three-point shooting talent on this team last season? Gosh, man, like I want to go with Seth Curry because he can create that little sidestep space for himself. But Kyrie has had some of his best three-point shooting over the last couple of years. I'm going to go with Kyrie for that three-point shot-making ability. And that way, that's a safe one. So I don't feel I don't feel bad if I get it wrong. There were so many different options here. It was actually Patty Mills. He hit 40% <laughs> oh! of his threes. And because Kyrie was out so much, he did a lot of self-creation as well early in the season. I, I got to tell you, man, sorry, but but th th this, is, this is a great thing to th not throw back at, but just – 
reminder, Nets fans, who were totally trolling Patty Mills when he hit that bad slump over the course of the season. This is the reminder, and Doug said this all the time on the podcast. He always works back to his averages, and I know this is like a specific type of stat, but this is the exact answer to it of three-point shooting talent that Patty Mills was the guy. Yeah, he still hit 40% of his threes, over the, and he did have a slump during the year, but he still hit 40% of his threes. What about playmaking? Again, James Harden was the leader, but he's no longer on the team. Who do you think would have graded <laughs> out as the highest uh, in playmaking talent? Ah, uh, I'll be Kevin. I was Kevin Durant. It's got to be Kevin Durant. It was Kevin Durant. Yes, it yes. was. His uh, his playmaking has improved significantly over his career. And what about finishing talent? Finishing talent. There's not a lot of guys really. Jeez, I, I, uh, I'm trying to think here. Anybody else outside of saying? Kyrie Irving. It's got to be Kyrie Irving. It is Kyrie Irving. Yes, that one. Come on. He's one of the best um, finishers in the NBA. Now, this is one, like, yeah, I talked, uh, I can't remember if I talked on air with you or if it was off air when I talked to you about trying to organize to do a Utah Jazz preview with David Locke because <laughs> who, who the hell knows what's going on with that team. So this question is in honor of whenever I get David on to talk about the Jazz. Which player on this roster averaged the most screen assists per minute? <laughs> terrible. Oh, what a terrible question. Most screen assists per minute yep. that is on this roster. There's not even a guy, yep. a lot of guys I would I would have picked that weren't there, that yeah. aren't there anymore the, the, now. The top, with a, the top two were Drummond and Aldridge, I think. I was going to say, yeah, Drummond would have been the one. Oh, God. Curry. It's old mate Dayron Sharp, actually. And I just wanted to bring it back to that discussion on him. Oh. Dayron Sharp was way up there. He had a really, really high number of screen assists per, I think it was per 75 possessions, but I just went to <laughs> per minute here. Anyway, same thing. Um, yeah, Dayron Sharp was way up there. So this just, this is how bad it was because <laughs> I, I knew I couldn't pick Claxton because I know he doesn't function in it. I knew I couldn't pick Kevin Durant because he doesn't get involved in that. Like you go away from the, the bigger guys on the court. But this is why some Nets fans are excited for Dayron because he started to show some of that function per minute, baby. Yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a wild question. And I had absolutely zero expectations that anyone would have guessed that but there you go <laughs> Dayron Sharp is the answer and Adam the answer to all of people's Brooklyn Nets podcast questions is the Locked On Nets podcast what's going on over there at the moment you better believe it, man. We're starting to finally be able to turn our attention towards the season. We know training camp is a little less than a month away. We can now think about the things we're talking about here. What are the rotations? Who are our players that are going to step up big? And ultimately, how does the Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Kyrie Irving triumvirate come together to arguably be the most dangerous version of that team? You go over to Locked On Nets. We're going to be breaking that all down. It's going to be great. Go and check out the Locked On Nets podcast. Check out the Brooklyn Nets team. It's going to be a fascinating look into how these guys can coexist. What the hell is Ben Simmons bringing? Where does his team go? There's so many questions. It's going to be fun to watch that. Well, maybe it's not your definition of fun. It's going to be interesting. I know that much. Adam, thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Always, Josh. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.